Well, uh, grab your Bibles if you would, and let's open. I have a few scriptures today. Open to Romans 15. We'll start there. Our youth can be dismissed. I get to keep all the adults. That's good. <laughs> or the young youth. So our theme for December will be a thrill of hope. Does anybody know what song that comes out of, that little catchphrase? Oh, holy night. I love that song. It's one of the songs that I feel like when we sing it, it's like Christmas has come. A thrill of hope. I want to talk today uh, and set up that message about hope with this verse, Romans 15, 13, out of the New Century Version. And it says this, I pray that the God who gives hope will fill you with much joy and peace while you trust in him. Then your hope will overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that verse together. Ready? I pray that the God who gives hope will fill you with much joy and peace while you trust in him. Then your hope will overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we start today in your word and we pray that we overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we're not hopeless. There's not a hopeless thing in you. And so, Lord, I pray that our hope of your word and what you've promised overflows and the Holy Spirit confirms it today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You know, I love this time of year. Um, several of us wore the plaid. Some of you got the Holy Spirit memo, and some of you didn't. So some of us are in the, the plaid. I love this time of year. I love the different decorations that are up. I love eggnog. Does anybody like eggnog? I, this time of year is the only time of year I like eggnog. I like fruitcake. I know most people, I like fruitcake. This time of year, I love tamales. There's just something about, boy, that got, her, got you going, right? Some of you just woke up. Some of you, your hope was fulfilled. Right? <laughs> I love this time of year. Uh, we always notice, too, people seem a little bit kinder, uh, are able to talk. But I wanted to press in. I want to look at a thrill of hope. You know, the word hope if we studied it through the scripture, and if we looked at that word in the Hebrew and the Greek, it means the exact opposite of when we think of the word hope. We think of hope like, I sure hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I sure hope that check doesn't get cashed this week. I hope it's next week. I sure hope my car starts. You know, we, we use it as a different type of word. That's not how the Bible translates that through the scripture. In fact, the word hope means this. It's an expectation of good. Confident expectation. An expectation of good and a confident expectation. In fact, biblically we could say this. Hope desires and expects that it would happen. We're going to see that today in the scripture, how God sees it, because God never looks at a situation as hopeless. He never looks at it. He doesn't look and just say, you know, it's, it's hopeless. He's never given up on mankind. God never looks at a person and says and sees that they're hopeless. He always has 
hope. He always wants us to pray for laborers. He always knows that the Holy Spirit, I've heard my Bible college professor said, the Holy Spirit's like the hound dog of heaven. Always after, right? Connecting different people. So God has hope, and he wants to pass that hope onto us. So hope is an expectation of good, a confident expectation, and it desires and expects that it would happen. So try to change your phrase about hope and go to a biblical de definition when I use, you know, hope's not one of the ornaments that I would pick out to put on my tree. I'd pick faith or love, right? Because you think, hope. No, we're going to look today in the scriptures of all of the ways that God knew that he wanted to instill hope within you. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I wanted to read this one verse. Genesis 3.15, after the fall of man, after Adam and Eve sinned, after they ate of the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten of the fruit, when God could have started over, and he could have, he could have made a change, he didn't, but he goes on and he says this, I will make you and the woman enemies to each other, talking about the serpent being Satan, talking about Eve, your descendants and her descendants will be enemies, but notice what he says, one of her descendants will crush your head and you will bite his heel. Already in Genesis 3, verse 15, and probably uh, when the curse was mentioned upon them and as God says this, there is already the promise of the son, his son Jesus coming. And he's going to crush the head of the devil, of the serpent. Now, he's going to be wounded, we see that. There's a wound take place, but I'd rather have a wound than get my head crushed. There's already a promise. Do you know, God knew that their two kids, Cain and Abel, they knew that Cain, he knew Cain would kill Abel, but he still carried on. He knew that in Genesis chapter 6, that all of mankind was turned evil, but he continued anyways. He had hope for mankind. He believed in the heart of mankind. He'd pull out, we read about Enoch. You know, the Bible is, is an interesting name. You have Enoch. All it really says is he walked with God and one day he was not. Right? God took him home. Then there's people in the Bible, a guy named Methuselah, who lived 969 years and the Bible doesn't record for us anything that he did. That's a long time to live and not do anything. <laughs> Scripture worthy. But all of these different people, and he would mention people out there was always hope in somebody, hope in somebody. God has great hope for us in mankind. So God begins Genesis after the fall with hope for mankind. You know, Jesus is that hope that is going to reconcile God and man through his blood, through his sacrifice. So let me read a couple other scriptures here. Numbers chapter 24. So early on, the first five books of the Bible, early on we read this out of Numbers, and this would be Moses writing these things down. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Notice what it says. A star shall come out of Jacob. Now, does that ring a bell to anybody? A star will come out of Jacob. What did the wise men follow to come find this Jesus? A star. All of a sudden, the numbers 
we get a little prophetic word about a star that we're going to see in Matthew and Luke about you know, the wise men coming. Isaiah chapter 9, the book that we're going to read several scriptures or several chapters this week. Isaiah 9, another prophecy of Isaiah, and he says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Priests, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Now that last sentence should give you a little hint because most of these kingdoms start and stop after that one leader's death. Well, Isaiah prophesies of the increase of his government and what? Peace, there'll be no end. So here's Isaiah prophesying of this hope of a Messiah, a Savior, one that would lead as those Jewish people thought, they thought they would lead, he would lead just Israel. No, God had a whole different picture leading all of mankind. Micah gives us another hint. Uh, Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and to everlasting. So here's another hint. What city did he mention? Bethlehem. Last week we were in Georgia, and we were in Bogart, Georgia. The city uh, not far away was Bethlehem, Georgia. And we heard that the Bethlehem post office gets overwhelmed by Georgians that are sending out their Christmas cards because everybody wants it stamped from Bethlehem. <laughs> that was pretty good, right? But here we are in Micah. Micah prophesies Bethlehem and says... Though you're small, uh, you're little among Judah, out of you will come to me one to be ruler. It's interesting when you read through it, and when you look at the story of Jesus' birth, that a census is what, what drew them to Bethlehem. Otherwise, Jesus probably would have been born somewhere else. Born in Bethlehem to fulfill this scripture that Micah prophesied about before. You know, 2 Peter 3.9 Peter picks up later in the New Testament and he reminds us of the heart of God when we read all of these things. He says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us. Now notice what it says. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Do you hear the heart of God in there? Do you see the, the hope that he has for mankind? It says, he's not willing that any would perish, but that, notice the word, all would come to repentance. He wants everybody to have the opportunity to come through his son, Jesus, to come to him. He wants all. That's his heart. But when we read through all the scripture, boy, we see people going sideways, this direction, that direction, doing what they want to do. But all along, he's pouring out a hope of his son. He's prophesying about this son coming. But is anybody paying attention? Is anybody watching? 
Was there anybody on that Bethlehem night that was aware, were the scribes of that day aware of anything going on? It was the shepherds that were alert and awake and were able to catch a, a message from the angels that made haste to go, to go see this Jesus. You know, we read from the end, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Malachi ends with that Elijah will come and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. But from the end of Malachi, that last little period, until the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is 400 years. In fact, many times it's referred to 400 years of silence. And the reason it's mentioned is silent. There's no other prophetic word given in 400 years. There's no other scriptures written that would fit within the Bible in those 400 years. But in 400 years, we know there was a major change because when we go through, we find out when you open to Matthew, the whole world's changed because the Romans are in charge. They've been taking control of all of the areas. In fact, when we go on and we read a little bit more, the king, Herod the Great, is not a descendant of Jacob. He's a descendant of Esau. So Jacob was the one the promise had gone through. So the ruler of that day is actually out of, out of Esau. The great thing that's still in place is the temple is a place of worship and synagogues are popping up all over the place. But now for 400 years, I wonder if the Jewish people lost hope. You know, because when we read about them leaving Exodus, they wanted to go back. They wanted to go back for the food. Isn't that crazy to think? You'd kind of want to go back if you had a cool condo in Egypt, you know, on the Nile. Are you going to go back to eat the leeks? And to have the, they wanted to go back because of the food. So in 400 years, they had changed to where the moment they were free, they wanted to go back. Now we have another 400 years that have they lost hope? Is there any expectation in the Jewish hearts Yet we see hope is spoken to Mary, this young girl. In fact, uh, in one verse, Luke 31, 33, it says this. And this is the message to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wouldn't you be like, could you say that again so I could write that down? That was pretty powerful. Let me read that again. You will conceive in your womb. Uh, time out. I'm not married. Right, there's a little problem here. Right? <laughs> Well, the angel just goes right on, doesn't he? You're going to bring forth the son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. Wow. That's a message from Gabriel. Do you think hope was poured into Mary? Now, remember, it takes nine months to have a baby she's probably wondering remember we're not in the days of ultrasounds like we are today 3d imaging you know all of uh, 
all of a sudden she's got to wait, probably wondering, oh, all of a sudden I'm pregnant. Here's this powerful promise. Is it really him? Maybe, maybe I just heard something. Maybe the leaks that we had changed the way that I heard. No, did I really hear this promise? It was enough hope to her that she went to go tell her aunt of what she experienced. Well, the same thing happens to Joseph because Joseph knows a little bit about this and the Bible says that he wants to put her away. He doesn't want anything to happen to him. He doesn't want anything to happen to her. And so in a dream, here's what the angel says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. But while he thought about these things, notice he's probably wrestling with this. As he thought about these things. Have you ever thought about something too much? And you think and you overthink and you start uh, doing narratives in your mind that really aren't even right and you think and think and think and think and think and you just need to stop thinking. Don't allow those things to go over well. As he's thinking of these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take with you your wife, or marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he will bring forth, and she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Boy, the last part is the same message that Mary got. You'll call him Jesus. He'll save people from your sins. You know, there's a lot that transpires in the nine months before Jesus is born. There's a census that takes place. They have to travel with a pregnant lady possibly on a donkey, possibly walking. You know, we don't know. But let me tell you, when ladies get to that ninth month, they don't want to walk. They don't want you to drag them from, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to walk, 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 and we're going to go to midnight tonight. That's not exciting to them, right? That's not thrilling. Well, a long walk, nowhere to, a guy wouldn't even take her in the inn. Would you turn a pregnant lady away if she came to your house? Oh, yeah, we don't have room. You know, we've got room in the doghouse. Let me go get the dog out. Would you do that? You wouldn't do that. But all along, this prophetic thing was happening, that all of these things had to be fulfilled. God set them up. But here's what God always does. He always bursts that hope of his promise of Jesus. You see, when Jesus finally comes to earth, being born through Mary, God is making it clear that this is the one who I've been talking about since Genesis chapter 3. I've been talking about this through the prophet Isaiah and through Micah. I've been using types and shadows through all of the Old Testament, through the ceremonies, and it all boils down to this one that's born in a manger. This is the one. This is Jesus. In fact, he's now going to be that thrill of hope to people that don't even know that he was born. And yet we know this, that for a couple years, wise men were traveling, and they had hope that something was special about that star. See, as Christians, our hope is based on our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope of a new life has been changed because of him. Our hope is we go through our scriptures and we read the Bible because his promises are yes and amen. 
His scripture is what changes us, changes the way that we think. We see that what he promises comes to pass. And so when he's given you a word or you're in the middle of a situation, that's why we go to him to trust him because the hope that we have is found only through him. You know, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this again, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law. When the fullness of time. I wish that God was quicker with the things he promised. But he has his ways, the Bible tells us. His ways are above our ways. Our way is to trust him. Our way is to have that hope that is only found in him because the Lord never sees a hopeless situation. So I want to encourage you this Christmas season. What are you hoping in? What is your trust? What needs to be adjusted in your life that you bring before the Lord? And you ask the Lord to arrange and to clarify and to speak to you so that we don't go into a new year struggling with things of the past, but we hope in the things that he's promised, that we trust in him. Uh, I want to share this story before we close. In uh, December, we went to our district conference, and there was a couple workshops. I decided to go to the workshop that was on emotional intelligence. And that sounds kind of weird, right? I thought I was an emotionally intelligent person. Emotional intelligence is the way that you react to certain situations, how you process it. And so, for instance, they use an example. Um, IQ schooling gets you in a job, but the emotional, how you work with people is what promotes you. So how do you react with the situation? So I, as I was praying about uh, this next year, I wanted just to do a, a, like an inside health check on me. How am I responding? So 140 questions, and then I was going to get a follow-up on how I did, and it was like three weeks later. I was pretty nervous. I wondered if he was going through the data thinking, we got to get this guy out, right? we got to get him some, some help. So I finally sat down. I was a pastor friend, and I had Michelle get on the phone, too. She wanted to actually hear it because she didn't believe that I would come back with whatever findings. And I loved when he finally emailed me to set up this phone appointment. He said... Um, he said, uh, well, you are the person that we knew you were. That scared me a little bit. He says, but I do want to sit down and talk to you for about an hour on some things I think you can work on. And uh, so one of the things was the way I react to certain situations is probably in thoughts. How many of you react quickly? Anybody here? You be honest. No, three or four of you. So the rest of you are the most patient, loving, kindness, tender mercy, fruit of the spirit type people. You're hanging hope on the windshield. No. Okay, so um, I remember my first year at the church. In fact, Ernie and I were getting things set up. And I don't know what ministry. I, I do, but I won't say it. I don't know what ministry was in the Saturday night, but they left our church a mess. And I was mad Sunday morning, like upset, mad, sweaty, cleaning everything up. And I was mad. And I probably didn't say anything. Ernie probably didn't know. I mean, we were hadn't cleaned glass, trash everywhere. I was going to find out who did it. That's rude. That's disrespectful. And the Lord spoke to my heart as I was cleaning the single glass door. And it was Proverbs 14.4. And I wrote it down just so I could say it right. Where there are no oxen, 
The manger is clean. <laughs> but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. That means you're shoveling a lot of stuff out of the manger. I'm cleaning the glass, and that's the verse, right? Calm me right down. I wasn't mad anymore. I did find them later to let them know that would never happen again. But uh, <laughs> call somebody. Let somebody know. You know anyways. So I had a situation that happened uh, in our family. And again, I, I'm hoping to make changes. I'm not just hoping. I'm wanting to make changes. I'm evaluating situations. So part of my devotional life every week is to take a situation and to work through a process of how did I respond emotionally. So in this one situation at home, this was just a couple weeks ago, um, Maverick and I had come home, I'd picked him up from soccer, and we'd come through the garage, and it started with the garage door being locked, and we were, I was patiently knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and then the knock got a little louder and louder and louder and louder, and I think it got a little thumpy. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so that's how it started. Uh, but let me read you the exercise that I went through that I think helped me, and even in this year, that helps me emotionally. Ready? Um, the activating event. Michelle and Madison were upset that we were banging on the lock garage. It irritated me a bit. And then the pizza prep situation ticked me off. That's the one event. Belief. I thought the cauliflower pizza crust and the ingredients just, just went in to go bake like normal. I didn't know that both sides needed to be cooked, which meant that it would either take 48 minutes to prep on my barbecue or 24 minutes if we used the oven, plus another 12 to 15 minutes to make my pizza, or 30 minutes longer using the barbecue. I didn't think anybody thought that it would take two hours to make a pizza. All right. At first, I was mad that nobody read the directions. And when Madison said, Dad, you just figure it out. That's how she said it. It ticked me off, and I threw the cauliflower crust on the floor. <laughs> so then I went to this other part, debate. Maybe they were busy prepping all of the ingredients, and I should have asked the questions when they called on my way home uh, before I picked up Maverick, the effects. Michelle and Madison were mad at me. They cleaned up their pizza prep, and they made soup. I made Maverick a grilled cheese, and then I made an omelet with all of their pizza prep items. <laughs> but here's the effect. The family didn't eat together, but separate. Everyone was quiet and upset with my actions. Asking questions and not being frustrated would have not, would have not caused this issue. So, I do this every, I try to take, you know, you'll be shocked that you have situations every day. <laughs> that I've got to take through my, and they even, they even say, have you been working on your A, B, C, D, E situation? Well, the, one of the things that I'm working on and hoping is that in every situation, I don't react. That I come back, because here's the verse I want to leave with us today. Romans 15, 13. I pray that the God who gives hope will fill you with much joy 
and peace while you trust him. Then your hope will overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't just hope for something this year. What are you, what are you uh, believing in God for this year? What are you actively working on, stepping out on to trust God this year? Because the promise, as Paul prays, that your hope overflows by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for today as we enter uh, the month of December. You're the God that set up times and seasons. But we celebrate at this season your son, Jesus, that he came for me. And because he came for me, there's never a hopeless situation. And there's never a person without hope. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or maybe you need to come back to him, as we all pray this, pray this believing. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Let's all pray this together. Pray it right after me. Ready? Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived and that he died for me. I now accept him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. And bringing me into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, stand with me if you would.